Attention Patriots, this is The Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. and shine liberty loving patriots welcome to the chris ann hall daily journal yes this is chris ann hall i have lost my voice so instead of torturing you for an entire episode i'm going to give you a special treat i'm going to share with you an episode from my uh program on roku Firestick tv apple tv and samsung tv on the oath keeper channel called constitutional america you can also get these Constitutional America classes at libertyfirstuniversity.com if you're a member there. So apologize for my voice. Hope to be back next time. Thank you so much, and I really do hope that you enjoy Constitutional America. Welcome to Constitutional America. I am your host, Chris Ann Hall, and today we're going to talk about treaties. Treaties are very, a very, very important part of the federal government's authority delegated through the Constitution. But over the years, I would say probably over the last hundred years, the scope and role of the treaty has become extremely confused. Not only that, the American people, along with their representative politicians, have used things that are not treaties as treaties, expanding the power of the federal government, expanding the authority of the president, well beyond what the Constitution and those who drafted the Constitution actually intended. The very nature of our treaty was, in, was deeply discussed within the ratification debates for the formation of our Constitution. If you'll remember from our uh, previous shows that there was a great concern about limiting the federal government, but specifically limiting the authority of the president. If you'll remember, historically speaking, our founders had just escaped from a kingdom rule, a limited monarchy. And they didn't just simply declare independence from Great Britain, but declared independence from kings forever. And one of the great concerns of our group that we call the Anti-Federalist was how do we keep this office of the president from expanding over time to becoming functionally as a king? 
perhaps they knew human nature a little better than we know today, we understand today, and they realized that human nature dictates that people want kings. It's just a natural progression that Thomas Jefferson would call a self-evident truth because history and human nature proves it to be so over time, over and over again. And so what I want to discuss with you today is the authority of the treaty. Who has it? What does it mean? What are its limits? What is a treaty and what is not a treaty? Now this is going to be coming up in our uh, contemporary issues because guess what? There's a new agreement in the works between Canada, Mexico, and America. A treaty, by the words of our founders, is a contract between foreign governments. Now I have my notes here with me today, so I wanna to read to you this quote from our founders. And the, it, this comes from Federalist 75. The power of making treaties is, plainly, neither one nor the other. It relates neither to the execution of subsisting laws, nor the inaction of new ones, and still less to an exertion of common strength. Its objects are contracts with foreign nations, which have the force of law, but derive from it the obligations of good faith. They are not rules prescribed by the sovereign to the subject, but agreements between sovereign and sovereign. What does that mean? What that means is a contract is not a way to create laws on the American people. That is not the purpose of a contract, of, of a treaty rather. A treaty's purpose is to make a contract between foreign governments, between America and some foreign government. If a treaty is being used to impose rules and regulations on the people of America, it is an unconstitutional, unlawful treaty outside the tenor of the commission under which the power was delegated to the federal government. And I think that's a very important rule that we must understand because so many of our treaties today are not just simply agreements of trade, peace, or other negotiations between American states and, the and foreign governments, but a mechanism to impose rules and regulations on the businesses, on the lives, and on the properties of the people. Before we go into the break, I want to read this one last time. This section, he says, its objects are contracts with foreign nations which have the force of law, but derive its obligations of derive it from obligations of good faith. They are not rules prescribed by the sovereign to the subject, but agreements between sovereign and sovereign. This I would identify is rule number one of treaties. And when we get back from the break, we will get into these treaties a little bit more so we, as the people who are to control our representatives, 
know what a treaty is and what a treaty is not. I'm Chris Ann Hall, and this is Constitutional America. Welcome back to Constitutional America. I'm your host, Chris Ann Hall, and today we are talking treaties. This is a hot topic in our contemporary issues and our current events because our president, Donald Trump, is negotiating a, uh, an agreement between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. We, the people, who are to control our representatives to control our state legislators must know what a proper treaty actually is so that we can guide our senators on whether to approve or disapprove this agreement. So treaties, is act treaties are actually addressed in two sections of the Constitution. Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2. And because they're addressed in Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2, we know this to be, at least in part, a power delegated to the office of the president. Remember, Article 1 is powers specifically delegated to the legislative branch. Article 2 are powers delegated to the executive branch. And Article 3 are powers delegated to the judicial branch. Article 2... Section 2, Clause 2 reads, He, meaning the President, shall have power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties provided two-thirds of the, of the Senators present concur. Now, I want us to recognize first and foremost, remember rule number one of our treaties is that treaties are not to make laws on the American people, regulations that bind the American people, but they are agreements of trade, of peace, of other negotiations between the American states and foreign governments. Rule number two, the president does not have the authority to unilaterally make treaties. By the way, the term is very specific here, treaties. There is no such thing as a presidential agreement that is constitutionally or legally binding on the states of these United States or on the people. The president, let me just repeat that simply, the president does not have unilateral authority to create agreements with foreign countries. That was specifically specifically denied to the executive branch by the drafters of our Constitution to make sure that our presidential power did not expand over time so that we gained a king rather than a limited and defined president. Remember, the only authority the president constitutionally and legally can exercise is authority that has been delegated through the Constitution. Inevitably, somebody at this point, if you're trying to explain this to someone, inevitably someone at this point is going to bring up a Supreme Court case or a federal act. Let me just remind you briefly, 
that amending the Constitution comes in a very specific and enumerated way. Article 5 of the Constitution gives us the precise mechanism by which the Constitution can be amended. And that is the only mechanism by which the Constitution can be amended. The Constitution cannot be amended by legislative act. The Constitution cannot be legally amended by Supreme Court opinion. So if you have a legislative act that's either expanding executive authority or diminishing executive authority without amending the Constitution, that legislative act is unconstitutional. And by the Constitution, Article 6, Clause 2, and the words of the founders, that legislative act is null and void. And we must understand that the same principle applies to the Supreme Court of the United States. The Supreme Court of the United States does not have the authority to amend the Constitution. And expanding executive power or diminishing executive power beyond its enumerated grant is an amendment of the Constitution. So, I'm sorry, judicial opinions that limit executive power beyond what is enumerated or expand executive power beyond what's enumerated are also unconstitutional, not only by the Constitution itself, but by the founders who wrote that null and void. So the president does not have constitutional authority to make agreements any agreement made by the President of the United States that is not ratified by two-thirds of the Senate is not binding. Let me go ahead and read to you the article within the Constitution that reinforces this. Now, this is Article 6, Clause 2. It says, This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof and all treaties made which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. Now let's pause here because this is a very important rule. Rule number two on treaties is a very important rule. The, if a treaty is not made in compliance with the Constitution, First and foremost, meaning it has not been ratified by the Senate. It is not a binding treaty. The president cannot unilaterally. Now listen to what this says. And the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Now we know from reading this that if the treaty is not made, under the authority of the United States, not made in pursuance to delegated authority by the Constitution, then the judges of the states shall not be bound thereby. I want us to remember that little fact because we're going to wrap that in at the end and show you how that is actually an indication to the solution when the federal government tries to enforce a treaty that either has not been ratified by the Senate or is contrary to the Constitution itself. Now, Article 6, Clause 2 helps us understand just how deep our rule number two goes. So remember, rule number one is that a treaty is a contract between the United States 
and federal governments. It is not a mechanism to make laws on the people or regulate their property or their businesses. Rule number two is that Every treaty must comply with the Constitution. In compliance with the Constitution, it must be ratified by the Senate. If it's not ratified by the Senate, then it is not a legally binding treaty, and the judges of the states are not bound thereby. But there's another aspect of being in compliance with the Constitution. I want to read to you what Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1793. He said, I insisted that in giving the president and Senate a power to make treaties, the Constitution o meant only to authorize them to carry into effect by way of treaty any powers they might constitutionally exercise. So rule number two is not only that it must be in compliance with the Constitution, meaning that it must be ratified by the Senate. But Thomas Jefferson is helping us understand that the depth of rule number two goes even further to say that if the treaty attempts to exercise an authority that has not been delegated to the federal government through the Constitution, then it is not a lawful treaty. The federal government cannot by treaty do something that is not delegated authority by the Constitution. Listen to how he says this in 1800. By the general power to make treaties, the Constitution must have intended to comprehend only those subjects which are usually regulated by treaty and cannot otherwise be regulated. It must have meant to accept out of these rights reserved to the states. For surely the President and the Senate cannot do by treaty what the whole government is interdicted from doing anyway. Article 6, Clause 2 says that the power to make treaty is only a power under the authority of the Constitution. Thomas Jefferson is explaining to us that if the federal government is, in, is, is attempting to do by treaty what they cannot do by Constitution, it is an unlawful treaty. Let me give you an example. The federal government is specifically prohibited from creating laws to infringe our right to keep and bear arms. If they attempt to make a treaty with a foreign government that then binds the American people in their right to keep and bear arms, that treaty is now unlawful and unconstitutional by two bounds, by two rules, right? Rule number one and rule number two. Rule number one, because that treaty binds the American people as individuals, it is an unlawful treaty because treaties do not make laws on people, on property, and on businesses. And it is void by rule number two as well because the federal government was never delegated the authority to impose rules and regulations on our right to keep and bear arms. So therefore, by not only the clauses of the treaties, but also Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution, that treaty must be held as null and void. So when we come back from the break, we're not only going to discuss specifically treaties that are uh, issues here in the United States, treaties that are being either negotiated or have been negotiated. We're also going to 
discuss the solutions for correcting bad treaties and preventing bad ones, unconstitutional ones, from being ratified. I'm Chris Ann Hall, and this is Constitutional America. Welcome back to Constitutional America. I am your host, Chris Ann Hall, and today we're talking about treaties. I want to go ahead and read the sections of the Constitution on the treaty one more time because I believe repetition is the key to retaining an education, and this is a very, very important aspect of education in America. We must know our Constitution because, as we're going to discover in the second half of our show today, is that the solution when our federal government oversteps its bounds doesn't rest in the federal government checking itself. It rests in the power of the people. And if the people do not know what a proper treaty looks like, if we've been educated, let's say, for the last 176 years, that a treaty is what is legal, whatever the Supreme Court says, or a treaty is legal in whatever the legislature says, or a treaty is legal in whatever the executive branch says, then what we simply declare through ignorance is that the Constitution itself is null and void. I often say on my radio show, The Daily Journal, I really wish that politicians, pundits, and professors would just be honest. I wish they would just simply come out and say, I don't like the Constitution of the United States, so I believe we shouldn't follow it anymore. They don't say that. They're very deceptive. They're deceiving and disingenuous. And they say, well, the Constitution, we can't really know what it means. It means it may mean this or it may mean that. Or the Supreme Court has said it means this. And, and you know, it's a new world today, so we can't possibly follow the Constitution by the letter. All of those statements are patently and fundamentally false. And the execution of actions based on those statements transform America from the constitutional republic in which we were created to a government with no limits, no standards, and no mechanism by which the people can self-govern and control their own government. The bottom line boils down to this. Samuel Adams said, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. He said, but on the contrary, when the people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. The deliberate dumbing down of the American population in regard to the standard of the Constitution, in regard to the exact and explicit in writing meeting of the Constitution, is intentional. And it's driving America into 
a submission to a federal kingdom at best, a banana republic. I just want to ask a simple, logical question, just a common sense question. We were at dinner the other night and my 13 year old said, you know, common sense just doesn't seem to be so common anymore. Praise God for a new generation that's starting to see the idiocy that's right in front of their faces. But what exactly would be the point of putting our constitution in writing? What would be the point of debating every position within the constitution, every word, every punctuation, every article, every section, every clause? What would be the purpose of debating that? What would be the purpose of writing down and recording those debates? What would be the purpose of ratifying the constitution and requiring three quarters of the states to vote? if they didn't actually mean for the Constitution to mean what it says and what they intended it to say. How ludicrous is it to say that the Constitution really has no meaning? And that's what they say when the Constitution, when they declare the Constitution has a living, breathing document. So I want us to understand that this means something, that our Constitution is put in place on purpose in writing so we can see it's going to be our job to fix this and to fix this we must know what it says the president shall have power by and with the advice and consent of the senate to make treaties provided two-thirds of the senators present present concur now look a treaty doesn't have to stand exactly the way the president has negotiated and look at what it says by the advice and consent of the senate if the senate does not like the way a treaty is negotiated perhaps the president doesn't understand the limits of the constitution doesn't understand the limits of the power perhaps the president doesn't want to be limited by the constitution and creates a negotiation with a foreign government that goes beyond the constitutional boundaries it is then the job of the Senate to advise the president, you have to change this provision, take it back and renegotiate. And they can only, only consent to a treaty that number one does not create laws and regulations binding on the people, our property and our businesses. And number two is in complete compliance with the constitution. When we get back from the break, we're going to get into the solutions about all of this. Thank you for joining us. I look forward to seeing you on the other side of the break. This is Chrisanne Hall, and, I, and, and this is Constitutional America. to our final segment today of Constitutional America. I am your host, Chrisanne Hall, and we're talking about treaties. Treaties with foreign governments are simply contracts with foreign governments. Remember, a treaty is not allowed to create laws and regulations on the people or their property, on their businesses, 
on their personal lives, on the internal operation of the state. With the only exception being the necessity to commerce those items within the states across the states to facilitate a foreign treaty. That's what the Commerce Clause was designed to create a mechanism by which the federal government can encourage cooperation between the states for the fulfillment of foreign treaties. So a treaty that is made not in compliance with the Constitution. Remember, this Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof and all treaties made which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. They are not the supreme law of the land if they are not made in pursuance to the Constitution. Remember, federal Treaties are contracts with foreign nations which have the force of law, but only derive it from the obligations of good faith, meaning the force of law saying we've made a contractual agreement with foreign governments. We have an obligation to do that. Jefferson goes, or I'm sorry, Federalist 75 goes on to say, they are not rules prescribed by the sovereign to the subject, but agreements being sovereign between sovereign and sovereign. They are agreements between two foreign countries. Now, because we've become so detached from the founders' intent and the very language of the Constitution itself, we have allowed unconstitutional treaties to seep into our political system. Now, I said that very specifically because just because the federal government and those in the federal government have accepted those treaties to be lawful does not make them lawful. They are null and void. Remember, by the general power to make treaties, the Constitution must have intended to comprehend only those subjects which are usually regulated by treaty and cannot otherwise be regulated. It must have meant to accept out of these rights reserved to the states for surely the president and the Senate cannot do by treaty what the whole government is interdicted from doing in any way. And Federalist 78 gives us further explanation on this. No legislative act, therefore contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. And there's a consequence to this. Alexander Hamilton goes on in Federal 78 says to deny this, to deny a legislative act contrary to the Constitution to be invalid, he says, would be to affirm that the deputy is greater than his principal, that the servant is above his master, the representatives of the people are superior to the people themselves, and that men acting by virtue of powers may, not, may do not only what their powers do not authorize, but what they forbid. When treaties fail the constitutional tests, rule one and rule two, and yet are enforced on the people, what we are accepting is that the Constitution is not the supreme law of the land, that the Constitution has no meaning whatsoever, and that the federal government has no limit to its authority. And that means there's no limit to representatives in Congress writing laws, which puts the representatives above the people themselves. And now we are ruled by masters instead of people 
who are ruling over a government. Remember the saying, a government of the people, by the people, for the people. That fails to exist when we allow the federal government to exercise powers beyond the grant of the Constitution. Listen to what Federalist 64 says. If the president and the Senate act corruptly, they can be punished. We're going to be talking about that in an episode very soon on impeachment. If they make disadvantageous treaties, how are we to get rid of those treaties? As to corruption, the case is not supposable. He, the president must either have been unfortunate in his, in his intercourse with the world or possess a heart very susceptible of such impressions. Who can think it probable that the president and two-thirds of the Senate will ever be capable of such unworthy conduct? The idea is too gross and too invidious to be entertained. But in such a case, if it should ever happen, the treaty obtained from us like all fraudulent contracts, would be null and void. In Federalist 64, John Jay is simply saying the idea that the President and the Senate could collude together in, in opposition to the Constitution, creating treaties that violate Rule 1 and Rule 2. He says, for us, that's just outside of our realm of understanding how that could ever happen. I think that's a little indication that our founders would just be simply aghast at the kind of government that we have today. But he declares that it, those treaties are fraudulent contracts and they are null and void. So what do we do? When our federal government has made treaties, for example, the uh, World Heritage Treaty in which our federal government by treaty with the United Nations has actually turned over property rights in America to our national parks and our landmarks of heritage to the United Nations. Go look that up. World Heritage Treaty. You will find that these properties are now controlled by the United Nations. U.S. soil under control of the United Nations, the UNESCO division, and all they have to do is declare a, a, an emergency. The UN, not the United States, the United Nations say, we think that this property is in danger, so now we're going to take over the rule of this property. As I mentioned before, we have the problem with the agreement coming up between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. This agreement is an un, will be an unconstitutional treaty if ratified by the Senate because it ties us to foreign law. Not only does this treaty that's being proposed by our current President Donald Trump bind us to foreign law, it puts five people, five unelected people, two American citizens, three foreign citizens in a position of power to create laws on the American people. Five people elected by no one, three of them foreign citizens with the authority to make laws and regulations to bind the American people, their private property and their businesses, if this treaty is ratified. 
So you have to know by our lesson today, rules one and two, that is completely null and void. And we cannot allow that to be enforced. So let's read now from Federalist 33. Alexander Hamilton writes, if the federal government should overpass the just bounds of its authority and make a tyrannical use of its powers, the people whose creature it is must appeal to the standard they have formed, the Constitution, and take such measures as to redress the injury done to the Constitution as the exigency may suggest and prudence justify. The propriety of a law in constitutional light must always be determined by the nature of the powers upon which it is founded. If these laws are passed, he said, they would not be the supreme law of the land, but a usurpation of power not granted by the Constitution. It is our obligation to make sure that these treaties that bind us to foreign government, that bind us to foreign law, that infringe upon and impose upon our property rights, our individual lives, and the operations in the ordinary course of affairs of our states and our property, we must ensure as a people who are the diligent, vigilant force to control government, we must ensure that they are not enforced. Now the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we as individuals stop the federal government from enforcing unlawful, unconstitutional treaties? Well, the good news is we are a constitutional republic and the individuals do not have to intervene and stop the federal government. The purpose of being a constitutional republic is so that the states are the sure guardians of the people's liberty. That we as a community called the state stand up to the federal government and say, wait a minute, we did not delegate that authority to you. That, that exercise of power is unlawful. It is an usurpation of, con of powers delegated by the Constitution. It is a denial of the rights and the powers of the states and the people. And we will not allow you to enforce this treaty upon us and we will not comply with this treaty now if you want to know specifically how that works the states telling the federal government no you must pick up my book sovereign duty you it's available at amazon um books a million it's even available at walmart.com or you can get it directly from us at chrisannhall.com Get this book, study it. Not only do I tell you how, I give you all of my original source resources so that you can test me out. These are not Chris Ann Hall's interpretations or Chris Ann Hall's ideas. These are the words of the founders themselves, giving us direction on how this constitution is supposed to work. Another mechanism by which, another way you can learn how the states are supposed to interpose when the federal government abuses its authority, expands its authority beyond the Constitution, enroll at libertyfirstuniversity.com. We have several courses there that will train you by video, much like we do here in Constitutional America, but very in greater detail. And by the way, if you are enrolled in, at libertyfirstuniversity.com, you have 24-7 access to these Constitutional America classes as well. If we don't get educated, 
then we cannot ensure that our federal government is following the Constitution. And then we sink under the weight of unlawful authority and we become the contributors to our own status of servitude living in a federal kingdom. We are the solution to this very, very important problem. Thank you for joining to me today. I am Chris Ann Hall, and this was Constitutional America.